0: Everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Hopefully you are enjoying this, uh, this uh, uh, what do I want to say, from the full moon, the leftovers that, that from the full moon. I was watching the moon as I drove in this morning, and it was just kind of amazing. I don't know how many of you saw the red full moon or not, but I always just feel kind of an energy shift myself when all that's taking place. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks, um, just to let you know who we are, we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort um, around the world. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia like we do here on Alzheimer Speaks Radio, that we can help remove the stigmas attached to memory loss And help those living with the disease continue to live with purpose and also engage those who care for them. Together is the only way that we're going to remove the myths and and, um, the, the isolation that is created for families and friends and communities with this disease. We also believe that collaboratively is the only way we're going to win the battle. And the battle is dementia. And I know that we're really making a dent in this because of all your clicks and shares and likes with your Facebook friends, your your LinkedIn colleagues, your Twitter tribes, and you know Pinterest, and I can go on with the social media for, for life. <laughs> it keeps growing and expanding. But every time you take that couple of seconds just to share the knowledge that we have here, not only on the radio show but Alzheimer's Speaks, In general, with our blog, our Dementia Chats, which are free webinars um, where our experts have dementia, you are raising awareness about Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and caregiving as a whole, and that is critical because so many of us have friends and family who are dealing with this that we don't even know are dealing with it because people don't feel comfortable talking about it. So by your likes and your clicks and your shares, you got Alzheimer's Speaks named as the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, um, according to Sharecare and Dr. Oz. And for that, I can't thank you all enough. Um, Together, again, we can make a huge, huge difference. We are making a big difference. And I just really appreciate your support in raising awareness and education um, around the world. Today, as always, we're going to have a great show. And so I'm very, very excited uh, to introduce our our guest, Gary LeBlanc. But before I do that, I always like to just give you a little shout out to organizations that I feel are really critical people know about. Um, the first one I want to mention is the Purple Angel Project, and that is the new global symbol for dementia and it's a uh, it's something that's free anybody can use just all you have to do is read a little poster but go to dot speaks.com and on our homepage, you'll find out information about the purple angel or you can go to the about page and get even more extensive information just click on it and we will send you the information and you can join forces this is a symbol that was created by uh, norms mcnamara over in the uk it's now in over 17 countries There are over um, probably 500 ambassadors, and and it's constantly growing. So just a a wonderful, wonderful movement that allows both people living with dementia, family and friends, and business professionals all take part in and join hands together. The Alzheimer's Disease International is a group of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. There you can find who is closest to you to, to get support, But in addition to that, you'll get a lot of global knowledge and research. So check out ADI, or Alzheimer's Disease International. Many people ask me about clinical trials, and um, I really like what the Alzheimer's team is doing. And uh, again, you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com on our main page, and you'll find a couple of different spots. You can just click. There's a short survey. You'll find out if you qualify or not. And what's really cool is you can help reshape alzheimer's treatment and there's absolutely no cost to you for doing that um who else do i want to shout out to um health home health here in minnesota fabulous group um, i just adore working with them they are one of the sponsors of the new dementia film his neighbor phil that uh, actually did our red carpet event here, um, so kudos to them. They were also out at our state fair and did over 3,200 memory screenings um, at the state fair, which is up about a 1,000 over the last year. So um, with that, I am going to go ahead and introduce Gary LeBlanc. Um, many of you listening to the show today are familiar with Gary Joseph LeBlanc, he is the author of "Staying afloat in a sea of forgetfulness," and his new be- book is called "The After Effects of Caregiving." Um, he he has just done some incredible, incredible work. Um, he is also the co-author of "While I Still Can," and he's a weekly common columnist for a uh, published uh, publication called "The Common Sense uh, Caregiving." which is down in Tampa, and um, he just does a great job with these articles and has touched so many people all around the world with these articles with the Tampa Tribune. And um, Gary, for a lot of people, don't know that he has actually written two fictional um, paranormal suspense novelettes, as he calls them, and he is the founder of the Alzheimer's Dementia Hospital Wristband Project and the co-founder of Dementia Mentors. Two things, along with his Common Sense Caregiving um, column, I think he is just renowned for around the world. Um, Both of these movements, the the hospital wristband, has um, been picked up and um, making such a huge difference to those who are hospitalized um, in terms of educating staff and um, raising awareness. And the Dementia Mentors is really about connecting people who are recently diagnosed with someone who has already been diagnosed, which is very, very cool. Uh, What else do I want to tell you about Gary? Uh, He also hosts the Dementia Roundtable Discussion, which is an online talk show. And those are videos um, that are recorded that you can go ahead and watch after the fact. And he interviews people all around the world on that. So welcome Gary. I could go on and on and on about you, but you know, I, we want to hear your voice and not just my rambling. So how are you doing today, Gary?
1: Lori, Lori, good to see you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gary hey. Gary and I actually Thank finally you. got to meet in Florida, what about two weeks ago, which was really fun. We've known each other virtually.
1: That was, that was fantastic.
0: Yeah, it was very fun. We were down at the Alzheimer's Association at one of their and. events, and uh, it was it was just great to be able to to meet Gary in person, along with Carol Larkin, who came all the way from Texas, and uh, Lisa Rodriguez, who's another colleague down in uh, in Florida, there, and Mara Botonis, who also lives down there. Uh, very very fun to be able to to see what's going on today, um, Gary. I really wanted to talk to you about your new book, which is called The After Effects of Caregiving. You know, what, what made you decide to write this book?
1: Oh, man. Um, the bottom line is I tried writing this book about two years ago. And the truth of the matter, I wasn't ready yet. Because uh, you do go through a lot of after effects on this. It's, you know, I took care of my dad for about 12 years. And uh, when, you, you're, when you're caregiving, you're always in the present. You're like, I want to just make it through today. And nobody thinks about next week, next month, <laughs> next year. And then when it happens after your loved one's gone, and it's really you got to find your identity again when it's over. And I didn't realize it till I get to that point, uh, how strong are the feelings and emotions that really are there. So I'm very, very happy on this book to get it finally out and published, and uh, the response has been fantastic. I've got people saying, man, I think you wrote this just for me, because it's something we all are enduring when it gets to that point on it. So it's important we find ourselves and give ourselves purpose again, and that's what this book is, trying to help people that's been there and I don't want people to wait till their loved one's gone to read this. I want people to read it today while well, they're in the middle of the journey. So we know what's going to come up afterwards. So that's important to read it today, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful book. And I think one of, the, one of the reasons people are clamoring to this again is through your writing, um, you are connecting people to not feel so isolated, not to feel like they're the only ones going through this because – there's so many things about life we don't talk about, and when we don't talk about them, you know, we get really isolated. And, um, and c- I, can go down I will the- say
1: this is a subject that we really need to discuss more openly on it. We, nobody wants to talk about after they're gone.
0: Mm-hmm. We're always
1: talking about the caregiving and, the, and, you know, keeping them socialized and all the stuff we know today that we really didn't know five, ten years ago, but we're really not talking about what happens after they're gone. And uh, actually I just had a message today. Uh, somebody, one of my readers, uh, wrote to me and says, you know, because of your book, I'm going to my first bereavement support group tonight. Yeah. And I would have done that if I didn't read you, you know, the after effects of caregiving. And I'm like, you know, I'm very proud of you. It's because um, we need to reach out and it's the same thing. You know how important support groups are. I don't have to tell you that. But it's just, it's the same after they're gone. We need to reach out and be in a room with the same people going through the same concept that we are. The experience is the same thing. That, that is so strong. And it's something I encourage.
0: Yeah, it is very, very important. Now, you also have a co-author on this book, Holly Beth Michaels. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how the two of you got to working together?
1: Me and Holly have worked on several projects together throughout the years um, on writing. And uh, she used to be, uh, worked here in Florida at HPH Hospice, which is the local hospice where I had my dad, uh, which helped me out with my dad towards the end. So uh, she has some pretty good experience. She took care of her mother and her father both to the end. So uh, we can collaborated on this. Uh, I really want to reach out and thank Kathy Boy, uh the Canadian author. She did a fantastic job on the foreword on this. Uh, it's really such a perfect fit for the book, and it's a great way to start the book out. So um, Holly has a good sense of writing. We have worked on so many projects together, like I said previously, that you know, we have a our, our tone together when we write. So it worked out pretty well. I'm very happy with it.
0: Well, oh, that's good. That's good. Um, can you tell us, you know, one of the things, Gary, I loved about the book, and, and I was so lucky when when I met you in Florida, you gave me uh, one, of, one of your books. And one of the things that I love is the large print. I mean, you can read this yeah. any time of day, anywhere, and you don't need you know, high wattage, and you might not even need your glasses. And to me, as as uh, as I'm aging here with my 56-year-old eyes, I really appreciated that a lot. And um, Well,
1: it's, it's my concept is to make it as caregiver-friendly as possible. Yep. And all my books are in a larger font. This one's a little bit larger than I was expecting, to be honest, but it, actually I'm getting more compliments and thank you on the large print, so it's I guess it's not as large as I really thought it was on it. But if you... Especially at this stage, when you're at the very end and you're going through the depression and the isolation and everything at the end, I wanted to make sure the caregiver could read this without being too stressed out. So uh, the large print just fits in with this, and and, uh, I'm going to keep all my books on caregiving. They're all going to be in a larger font. It's just something I've always believed.
0: Well, and it makes sense. I'm glad you like that. It makes sense. You know, I mean, even if someone is younger, you still, your eyes get tired, you know, when you're caring for somebody. Your whole body gets tired, right. and so if you can make that a little bit easier on people, I just, I just think that that makes so, so much sense. Now, you have a lot. The lo- material, mm-hmm. Go ahead. material
1: in this book is so important. I, I just couldn't concept somebody. So, oh, the print's too small. I don't want to read it. I'm too stressed out. I wanted to make this as caregiver-friendly as possible, and that's, that's the concept there.
0: Okay. Now you have um, lots of interesting, um, you know, uh, chapters in here. Can you tell us a little bit about the caregiver syndrome that you talk about?
1: Well, more and more doctors are using this term. Uh, What caregiver caregiver syndrome is actually, and I won't say it's exactly like it, but it's very similar to the PSTD, post-stress syndrome on this. And the bottom line is uh, between the guilt, here's the matter of fact. When you, if a loved one's gone, you're going to go to grieving, I and mean, that's just a common sense of life, part, part of life. But if you're grieving for a year, maybe you're not grieving anymore. If you're grieving for two years, you're definitely not grieving anymore. This grieving and depression gets t- tied in together and get twisted into this one knot. So it's tied to differentiate defi- what's the difference between the two of them? So this is all part of the syndrome on it, and you you're like almost feel like you have dementia yourself all of a sudden, because of this caregiver syndrome on it. You're exactly tired, you're depressed, and you're grieving all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, caregiving is, you know, it's, it's a long journey sometimes for all of us, and even if it's short, it's still it's very emotional on us. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody from caregiving, because I think it's one of the best things anybody can do in life for anybody. It's the best gift you can give on it, but we need to look at things, what's going to happen when they are gone. We have to keep that in concept on it, and it's very difficult to do.
0: Yeah, because we we don't talk about the end. We talk about the end in terms of planning the funeral, but not in terms of how are we going to continue to live our life after uh, someone has gone. Right. And, and I know for me, I've had I, you know I've lost uh, a lot of relatives, but uh, when I lost my dad, um, who didn't have um, he didn't have dementia, but he had brain cancer, and I was his primary caregiver because my mom had dementia. I was just one lost soul. I mean, I didn't know who I was anymore when I wasn't playing that role and uh, the void that was there. And it was so, it was just something I never thought about. And my mom had moved into the nursing home and so she didn't need as much care from me as she did prior, but I i was just, you know, and friends would say, well, what do you like to do? Well, I didn't even know what I like to do anymore. I mean, i I literally right. didn't know what i like to do did you find did, did you find yourself going through that as well gary
1: you kind of lose your identity it's like what happened to the old gary where did the old gary go
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't think about this when you're in the middle of it because you're so busy caring i mean doing it but you know we have what we're caregiver guilt and that also even when we're caregiving we're like oh maybe i should be doing this maybe i should be doing it am i doing this good enough so you you're constantly doing living with caregiver guilt but when they're gone now you start thinking. Well, maybe if I would have done this, maybe if I would have done that. The mm-hmm. caregiver guilt even gets even, it's like a double whammy when it comes on to you. So this is all part of the after effects on it. And, and they are after effects. They truly are on it. And um, once a caregiver, always a caregiver. I've lived by that and I tell that to everybody on it. When my dad was gone, right, I was looking for anything to heal. I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, the cat's sneezing, and I'm running over with a tissue trying to cure the cat. I'm like, you know, the plant's <laughs> dying. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do the plant? I mean, it's just because it's bred into you yep. after a while. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it really is. It truly is. When you're done, you're not done. You're always going to be a caregiver.
0: Mm-hmm. That is that uh, is very true. That. And, it, you know, you find new roles in different different ways in terms of, of working with people, I also found that my identity, you know, for myself, was this one of caregiver to the point of um, I was actually enabling people, and there's a big difference between enabling and being a true caregiver. And so, for my folks, I think I really was a true caregiver, but for a lot of others in my life, I was enabling them to to live a problem or live a life that sometimes problems would arise or life wasn't perfect. And I turned into the fix it person and that's really not who I wanted to be. And so that was a really long, hard look. Do you, do you, did you find yourself um, picking up that role of caregiver or enabler with others just to kind of fill the void?
2: Yes.
1: It, that was actually very healing for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, truth of the matter, I, went to, I started going to more support groups after my dad was gone, and uh, just to share the wisdom, you know, you need to take what you learn and share it to help others, and that's just part of the healing process. For me, it was, as we go through this on it. I mean, everybody heals a little differently as we go through this on it. Um, some people, like you said, your mother, you placed her in a nursing home facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some people that they've said goodbye so many times to the loved ones. Every time they go and visit, they're literally saying goodbye again. Mm-hmm. So when the time comes when they're deceased, they, they might have said their goodbyes a hundred times or, or more. So sometimes sometimes you've got to say goodbye twice, and that's even double devastating. Everybody's a little different, but we got to work out what's good for you and how to get yourself through it. Like mm-hmm. I said, we need to find purpose again. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend volunteerism on it. Um, you know, how do we get back in the social world? How do we get ourselves back into one of the problems is a lot of us leave our employment for years. We, sometimes we give up our job to take care of our loved ones. Well, that's the biggest red flag you're going to have on your resume. How do you get back into the workforce? I'm suggesting, you know, go to United Way or someplace and volunteer. Use that as part of your resume. Show, show the new employer that I am still a team worker and I have a value. And at the same time, now it's putting you on a schedule. I have to get up on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday to go volunteer at 9 a.m. You're back into the, back into the social world again. Mm-hmm. So it's, sometimes you need that little kickstart to get yourself going again. and This is a good way to do it.
0: Well, and it's it's hard, I mean, to kind of get back up and get going sometimes, too. Um, did you find that your friends and family understood where you were coming from or what you were struggling with, or were they kind of wrapped up in their own grief?
1: No, they did not understand. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, I mean, uh, your friends what you had before this even started, uh, they're gone. I mean, your social world is, you, you've come to live into this world of isolation, like you mentioned a little bit on it. I mean, your phone stops ringing as a caregiver, you know, you, your phone only rings so much at first, and then it's basically it stops. Well, one day, I'm picking up the phone to make sure it was still working, because the phone would just not ring anymore. And it's basically, you know, when you say, hey, if you, you want to go to the movies, I'm like, I can't, I have to stay here with my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, they're only going to call so many times, and they're going to end up stop calling. But we don't need to worry about that, because we move on. I mean, and you're going to get new friends as this thing goes on it. Um, sometimes some of the caregivers I met uh, throughout this journey, this campaign, are the best friends I'll ever have. I mean, truly, you. there's a relation, there's a brotherhood between us. Mm-hmm. We have a mutual understanding on it. And uh, that's like I feel with you.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's very, very true. What do you think in terms of, I'd love for you to share with uh, the audience of, a, a lot of times people think that you know, social media or social networking isn't true friendships. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think we need to use today's technology. I wish I had more of it when I was when I started this campaign of caregiving on it. Uh, truth of the matter was, it wasn't too. After my dad died, that I even joined Facebook. I wasn't even on it before that. On it, but you know what? That's a, that's a window for you. It's mm-hmm. a window to the world. Truthfully, on it, when you're isolated in the house and you're caregiving. You do have that other option, and I think that's a good option to use it. I mean, we all have to be careful what's on the Internet and what's on social media. You can't believe everything you read out there. You've got to run into problems, but you can use it to your advantage on it.
0: Yeah, I Some of the
1: support groups that are out there on on Facebook and other social media events, some of them are really good. Some of them aren't a good fit, but there's so many of them, we have our options now. So I think it's good. I think Skyping and uh, Zooming and, and these video chats are some of the best ways to communicate because you're actually seeing that face-to-face visual contact with the other person on it. It's better than a phone call to me. I mean, I'd rather now sit down and say, you know, instead of calling me up, let's zoom. I actually yeah. get to see that person. You get to see their facial expressions. That's very meaningful.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, for a lot of people I had heard that, oh, you know, well, you can't have a real relationship, you know, over the internet, you know, you can't trust, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, Yet, I, I um, am constantly um, embraced by the stories that I hear of people going, you know, these people kind of saved my life. I was hanging on a cliff, and they're my support system, and, you know, and then when they finally meet, you know, it just, it, it just raises it another notch in terms of that friendship. But I think one of the biggest things that people are, forget about if it's social media or it's in person... Um, People, when you are talking with, with people who are in similar situations, who are truly peers who get it, you're having deep conversations from the get-go, and you're telling them things that you wouldn't tell maybe even your best friend because they don't get it. Um, and so it, to me, it's just a natural, natural way to be able to go. And so many, you know, you you hear people all the time up in the middle of the night, they can't sleep and they want to talk to somebody, you know, somebody around the world is awake. It's their daytime, or maybe they're not able to sleep right. either. Who can support you? 20, that's huge. 24-7.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and think about it, before this was even available, what were caregivers doing? They were isolated completely. Yep. I mean, this is a window for them. I mean, yeah, like I said, but we've got to be cautious. We've got to be cautious of the information that's out there. I'm very skeptical. There is some serious snake oil out there that drives me nuts, but we need to be cautious and warn people and everything with a grain of salt at the same time
0: mm-hmm. i i totally totally agree with you there um you talk in your book about the pain of depression can you can you share a little bit with our readers um where you yeah were like off? i said
1: we, we kind of we might be very confused with what's happening to us when we think we're grieving but we're not grieving really anymore that we're actually in a state of depression and I caution everybody on this um, and, and advise everybody that if you know you're not yourself and it's going two, three, four months going by or six months or whatever it is at this point, we need to address it with the doctor. And for me, that was a very difficult conversation for me to have mm-hmm. because the truth of the matter, my doctor was one of my only social outlets while caring for my dad. Mm-hmm. I would take my dad to the doctor, and there was one person that wasn't, you know, all of a sudden I was in the outside world, and he was one of the social people that was involved in my life. So for me to be, and part of it probably being male, being stubborn, I don't know, uh, just didn't want to come out and admit that I was probably in the state of depression. Mm-hmm. But finally I did it, and the words came off my tongue, and right then I was the beginning of my healing. It wow. truly was on it. and. And I will say he gave me a six month subscription of some antidepressants and I took the whole script for the six months. I never renewed it. I just needed that kickstart to get myself back to get a little bit into the social world and and stop wearing this mask. I had found a mask that was a perfect fit for me. Mm -hmm. I'd be out speaking in public and nobody knew what I was experienced on the inside. I learned to hide it very well, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't healthy. And it wasn't until I actually admitted what was going on with me that I started the healing process. And I encourage everybody to have that conversation. Don't let it build up. Don't let it get worse. Once they get into clinical depression, you might not get out of it. So, I mean, this is very serious. And we do have that open conversation with our physicians if we're at that point.
0: Okay. Well, that's, that's good. I, I appreciate uh, you sharing that. Now, you had you had mentioned um, kind of a healing process coming out. Was Was the writing of the book healing? People talk about, you know, how healing writing can be. Did did you find that for yeah. yourself as well?
1: Yeah, very therapeutic, without a doubt. On it. I mean, that actually was the finishing point of the healing process probably for me that helped me finish. Like I said, I tried writing this book two years ago. I actually started the book two years ago, and then I put it back on the shelf because I just wasn't ready. And mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't finish it then because it was stuff that I hadn't experienced yet. The, the, the book wouldn't have been what it is today if I would have done it two years ago.
2: Okay. But my dad's been
1: gone six years now. I mean, it's been a little over six years, so it's, it was a learning process for
2: me on
0: it. Wow.
1: So, and it's, it's still a learning process. The, the, no, there's no kidding that. I mean, it, it truly
2: is. On it, so.
0: Well, and, and I know for me, I find, you know, writing is, is really healing. And I would encourage people to write, even if they don't share it. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to let anybody see it at all. Um, but right. But just to, to let it release out of your body, I think, is is really important. And acknowledge you know, what you've gone through, if it, if it's pain, if it's joy, you know, if it's frustration, whatever it is, but just to, to acknowledge it. Um, I, I, to me, it's one way to, to release it. And um, that's
1: honestly, that's how I started writing my column. I was taking care of my dad. I was writing paranormal suspense back then. We're talking 10 years ago plus on it. And, um, I get to the point where I was getting writer's block because I was doing so much caregiving, and once my dad was getting more and more advanced and everything on it, I couldn't concentrate on what I was really working on. So I started just sitting down and writing about because I was always taught to write 500 words a day,
2: mm-hmm. religiously.
1: I mean, through journalism, and that's that's what I've always been trained and taught to do. So I'm like, well, what am I going to write about? So I started writing about the daily events with me and my dad. Mm-hmm. And every time I showed it to somebody, somebody's like, well, you got to do something with this. And that's where the column actually. The birth of the column started from there, and I wrote that column for six and a half years, weekly. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great experience, and it helped a lot of other people, which I'm proud to say.
0: Yeah, the is, column was good. That's wonderful. Gary, in, in the book, is there one chapter that just stands out? I mean, if you had to tell our audience, you know, if you get this book, if you read nothing else, what chapter would it be that you, you feel is the most powerful?
1: Uh, why me? We go through this anger period of us, like you know, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? And we get we get mad, we get angry, and that's part of something that we have to accept. We're like, you know what? Why not me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what makes us any more special than anybody else on it? So we have to kind of live with that concept. Okay, this is happening. We have to learn to deal with it, and instead instead of be angry about it. And I think we all have that little bit of anger. Oh, this is this is your mother that just lost, this disease has took away from you. So there's that anger, and I think we need to get through that. On it. And even as caregivers, while we're still caregiving, we need to get through that.
2: Mm-hmm. And say,
1: okay, this is what's happening. This is the reality. Now we need to concentrate on today and our own emotions, and not being anger all the time. Anger actually is a pressure release for all of us. It could be a good thing, but we've got to learn... Not to snap, not get mad, get angry, especially when you're caring with somebody with dementia. You know, all those little outbursts of anger—it's not going to do anybody any good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, so there isn't a chapter in there. Anger, one of the most misunderstood emotions, I believe, is the name of the chapter. And I think that's a good chapter that everybody needs the concept and read a little bit about and yeah. think about. Uh, am I angry? Is it? Is it a frustration? What is it? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of both. It's all over the above.
0: Now, you also mentioned, because people talk about long-distance caregivers, and, and do they experience kind of these after-effects as well? I think a lot of times I, si- siblings think, well, no, how could they? They weren't here, you know, and I mean, you get all those judgment things going. I think
1: that the caregiver guilt hits them just as hard and possibly even harder because all of a sudden they're like, wow, now they're gone. Maybe I should have been there. hmm and he, they get hit by this other kind of guilt that comes into them on it. Uh, Long-distance caregiving isn't easy. Some people just can't. I mean, they're living on the other side of the country. They're several states away. I mean, you can't, you know, you got families. I mean, it's it, one problem with caregiving, it always seems to fall on one person, which is truly unfair, but that is the concept of this on it. Almost everywhere I go, that's the biggest complaint I get. I'm the only one in the family that's tearing for this. I mean, nobody else is helping me. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter, that is like the number one complaint I get. So they're mad at the other caregivers. Well, you know what? We need to let not let the diseases tear our families apart, even if it's long distance caregiving. And everything. We just lost one person. Why should we lose the rest of the family over this? Yeah. But we need to concentrate on healing and, and and don't right now. At the end, that's when we need everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We really, you know, okay, that person wasn't there when you needed them, but you know what? You're still they're still your family. We got to get through all that.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Don't hard. let the
1: disease take any more than it's already taken.
0: Yeah. It, well, and it's funny because I'm sure you get this too, but um, when I when I go out and speak, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, the one question that it comes up just about every single time I talk is, how do I fix them? How do I fix my brothers and sisters? How do I make them right. see what's going on? How do I make them help? And what what's your answer to, to that one?
1: Well, you know, one thing that we should do, and we just talked about Skyping and video chatting and all that, mm-hmm. instead of having your in-law or your brother or your sister, your family sibling, call mom, put mom in front of the computer on a video chat, and let your brother actually see mom. Because they're like, oh, yeah, mom's just I just talked to mom on the phone. She's fine. Mm-hmm. Susan's doing a great job. Well, meanwhile, mom doesn't even know who she just talked to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Susan's
1: pulling her hair out of the back of her head. I mean, so if they actually physically saw mom, maybe they get a little better concept of what's going on there yeah, and maybe how much more they're needed. And I think that visual aspect is, is huge.
0: Oh, I think that's a I think that's a great idea um, because you can't always tell things from a voice. Nor do people want to no. uh, always see. Mom
1: just puts down the phone and doesn't have no clue who she's just talked to. And all the sons in Pennsylvania going, "Boy, mom really sounded good," <laughs> and it's, uh, they actually see the physical aspect of it. They might get a bit of better sense of what's actually happening so
0: yeah exactly now you have a chapter in here too about intimacy suppressed can you talk a little bit about that
1: well we all know as caregivers and uh, sometimes romance gets thrown right out the window you get <laughs> tired and everything on it so um And even when it's gone, sometimes, you know, we lost that social part of the world and everything on it. There's another chapter in that book also about getting, when it's too soon to get remarried or get back into a relationship.
2: Mm -hmm. You
1: know, if it's your spouse that just disappeared on you and just passed. I've I've had several friends, close friends, that just came to me in tears and like, everybody hates me now because I actually found help. Well, half the time, they found another person that just went through the exact same thing. They both just lost their spouses. Now, that's not to say that they just, they're just they not grieving for their other spouses anymore. Maybe they're just going to grieve together. Mm-hmm. And I got a good friend of mine who just got married six months after his wife was gone. You know, he, this guy did everything he could to take care of this woman. He did a fantastic job. But then everybody turned on him. And that's just its just very upsetting to me on that. On that. And the book, is one person that went to they, they, this couple can't even go back to the same church because everybody in the church was talking behind their backs about, how could these two uh, so soon go back to be being with each other when their loved ones have just disappeared on them? And, and it's just the general public doesn't understand what caregiving is about until it's on you, until you're in it. And that's, I don't know how we're going to get the general public to understand a little bit more than that, but keep talking about it, I guess. Yeah. One,
0: yeah, I, I think that that's a, a real important point that uh, a lot of community uh, and family doesn't understand as a whole. They, they see everything as really black and white, and, and disease and illness is far from black and white, um, especially when you're in the crux of it. And, you know, people still need their emotional um, support out there. And a lot of times it goes by the wayside, and, and um, family and friends don't even know that they've abandoned people. And uh, I
1: Unfortunately, the diseases like dementia and other terminal diseases, nobody even wants to even know about them until they hit you in the head.
2: Yep. <laughs>
1: and uh, that's one of the problems we have with the stigmas. We It's hard to even explain to people what's going on because they don't even want to hear about it. Yep. And we are getting a little bit better on that. I will say we are making some progress. I, I've seen a lot more people know about dementia than they knew about five years ago. There's no question about it, but we got a long ways to go. Yeah. People like you are doing a great job of getting the word out. I thank you for that.
0: Well, you know, we're all working together, and um, I think, you know, and myself, I think a lot of the headway has come from a lot of the grassroots efforts, Um, people starting just to have these everyday conversations and not worrying so much about right or wrong, um, but looking for um, companionship and ideas um, to be able to improve and, and live life more brilliantly. And to be able to be honest about the feelings that they're having without being judged, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to find a safe a safe place to go, and, uh, and and how to how to work. And so, yeah, it's real 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 important. And and I think your book is going to have big impact on on many many people um, all over the world. Um, again, Gary's book is called The After Effects of Caregiving. Now, you you have also some um, chapters in here. I mean, you've, you've got just, I, I love the chapters because they're just really easy to kind of figure out what it is, you know, you're you're going to get in that chapter. One of them is called, How Long Should We Grieve? What is your thought on how long should we grieve?
1: I don't think there's a time limit for anybody. It's We're all different on this, on it. But uh, we've got to figure out whether we're grieving or we're depressed. That's, uh-huh. that's the key to this, on it. I mean, uh you know, if you grieve for a year, that's that's probably normal. Um, this there's one woman, I mentor her in the book that came to me after a speaking event I did, and she goes, My family's very upset with me right now. I'm like, Well, what's going on? They say I go to the cemetery too often. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Well, how often is too often? She goes, I go every day. And I'm like, Well, how long has your husband been gone? She goes, Two years. So this woman has literally gone to the cemetery every day for two years. Is that too often? Probably yes. On it and the truth of the matter. But I asked her, I said what happens when you go? Are you crying? Are you upset? Are you emotionally drained when you leave? She goes, No, it's the best time of my day. Mm-hmm. They had a Memorial Park bench put next to the grave. She goes, she packs a lunch, she goes and sits there, weather permitted, and has lunch. I mean, so is that bad or wrong? I mean, I think maybe at that point it stopped her from getting to a social world again, mm-hmm. but everybody's different on it. Yeah. So, what's right and what's wrong? It's hard to say on it. But depression is what I'm really concerned about when people get through this on it. Because depression can be, it can tear you apart physically, mm-hmm. other ways in life, you know, from weight loss, weight gain. I mean, you know, insomnia. There's so many health issues that go with it that we have to be very careful with. I
0: agree. I totally, totally agree. Um, now, you, had, um, you also have a chapter in here about comfort food, which is one of my downfalls.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big part of all of us. On the head of it. <laughs> we don't realize that comfort food is actually like a drug. It truly is. Mm-hmm. It's a satisfying. And we all say to ourselves, well, you know what? I deserve a little bit of this. Well, then you say, I deserve this all the time. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. I, gained, I just lost 130 pounds. Mm-hmm. After this, and it took me over a year to do that on it. But I had gotten to a point where it's like if I didn't do something, I was in serious trouble.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I mean, I put myself to it and got to it on it. But uh, I'm not trying to say what you you got to go on these craft diets or anything like that. But we need to be address why are we eating, what are we eating, and basically it's the tone in your brain is just it's like a drug, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. makes you feel good. You get that sugar high, and you also you get a little comfort in it. So we just need to be aware of it and be cautious on it. On it. And it could be the opposite. Sometimes people stop eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can work both ways on it. A lot of people go through a massive weight loss after their loved one's gone, which is not healthy either.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I... I want everybody
1: to be healthy. I want everybody to come through this caregiving journey and campaign without uh, shedding too much skin and actually to be able to enjoy life again, and that's, that's the goal of this.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. so, it's possible, and we can do it.
0: Now, Gary, one of the things that I went through, I didn't do this so much with my mom, but I did it with my dad. Um, I call it looping, where I just kept reliving um, that loss over and over, that final loss of of, um, of of saying goodbye. And have you heard that from from very many people at all? Um, but
1: I don't know if that's ever going to leave sometimes on it. Um, I mean, we all remember if we've been there and you held their hands on the final days and at that last breath, that is something that's going to be touched you
2: mm-hmm. and it's
1: going to be with you forever on yep. it. Um, so, I mean, is that bad? I, I don't know if it's too unhealthy for you on it. I mean, but it's, you know, one of the things that I found very disturbing when my dad passed was the bed sores.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you don't think about it when you're dying of organ failure. The skin is the largest organ of our body. So, I mean, we got a point. i got sheepskin on his heels. I mean, we're rolling them every hour. It didn't matter what we did. The man was breaking out of the bed. So it, and I'm like, it was just disturbing me so much. I mean, I'm looking at him like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And the was at the house with me. aunt my, kept my dad home the whole time. They're like, listen, we're doing everything you can. You can't look at that on it. But see, you don't want that vision in your head. <laughs> it's something that we have to kind of get through and get past on it. And I don't really look at that vision anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that now that my father's gone, I mean, it's, he's he's not in that pain anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's ways we've got to turn around and look at things a little differently sometimes. Yeah. But sometimes it takes us a while to get there. It's just, just time, time is the greatest healer. There's no question about
2: that.
0: Yeah, with my dad, when I talk about looping, I was like re, totally reliving all the emotions of, I mean, just over and over and over. And um, and it just didn't feel healthy. Um, i wasn't i wasn't releasing it and i um ended up going to see um a counselor on it and she said she said yeah you got to you got to let it go it, you're always going to remember but i was i was actually reliving his last breath and as i felt his energy go through my body and um it was almost traumatizing in some it's some ways very and, emotional and, and and i'm not yeah, one yeah. to run to a therapist and i never Never really done that, but I was like, I just, I just needed some help. I, I just, I knew something was not, not right. And um, I'm
1: very glad you realized that and you went. Yeah. That's the problem is we got to get that stubbornness out of us sometimes and say, okay, I might not be able to do this on my own. Maybe I do actually need help. And that's yeah. a very hard thing to say. Yeah. But sometimes we got to say it to ourselves before we can say it to anybody else. Isn't it?
0: Well, and what I found was I was holding on to that looping because I didn't want to, I didn't really want to figure out who I was again. I was really scared of that next step because I couldn't believe I had lost it. You know, I was like, how, how the hell do you lose yourself? You know, (laughs) but I did, I totally lost myself, even though I was still a wife and a mother and a friend and. You know a sister and you know a worker and a, a volunteer and you're you're all those labels, but inside you just you're just lost, you're just empty you just um it's kind of indescribable. and here's the
1: thing or you might not go back to being your old self, you might become a better and new
0: mhm, yep,
1: and I think that's what we need to look and try to do But there's sometimes there's something inside of us that's just gotten better i mean we've got there's no no if and buts. Like caregiving is a life-changing experience. It's going to change your life permanently, one way or the other. And uh, sometimes it makes us a better person. Morality. Yep. I mean, everything on it is just as strong. So,
0: yeah, I. I think it made
1: me a better person. I could be wrong, but I think it is, <laughs> You know. Yeah.
0: No, I. I think it. I think it made me a better person too. Um, a lot less judgmental. Um, And I never thought I really was that judgmental. Um, A lot less controlling, and I never really thought I was, though others would probably say I was a control freak. I mean, I just, I I had a real different perception of...
1: And compassion.
0: Yeah. I I think it really
1: increased the amount of compassion that I have for for others. I mean, without a doubt. Yep. One of the things that definitely strengthened
0: on me. And the appreciation just for life in general and the really simple little pleasures that um, that you didn't think you overlooked um, until something drastic happens. And then you're like, I didn't relish these the way I should. And um,
1: Can I give a little shout out? Absolutely. Somebody right now. I want everybody to know that vibrant uh, Hospital in Eddington, North Carolina, started their dementia training today. It's their first day of dementia training for the wristband program in that hospital.
0: Oh, cool. And
1: they're in they're on the east coast of uh, North Carolina. And then last night, another invited hospital in Greenboro, North Carolina, contacted me and wants to take on the program, along with another hospital. The risk Band program is exploding right now. It's really got the interest. The momentum is moving. And it's a project I've been working on for six years, and I'm just thrilled to actually see. And the truth of the matter is, all the hospitals that are coming aboard are the small community independent hospitals. But you know what? If I can get 20 of them on board... We'll get to the HCAs and the CHSs, the big chains. Yep. They're, they're no longer going to have to say, "Hey, we don't need this."
0: Well, it's it's kind of so like this, the this pur- is huge. It's kind of like the Purple Angel project. It didn't start out in the big organizations. It started out with individual family members pushing this, and and it's kind of making its way. And people are seeing, "Hey, it, it it's not going away." So we can right. either continue to fight this, or we can join the efforts and um, be collaborative and and you know. Really make some headway together, and uh, and I think your wristband program is exactly exactly the same way. You know, people thought, well, it's and, a few-
1: and the the education is the key to all of this. Man, we have to get in there and train on communication behaviors and you know mm-hmm. the different dimensions, which is one thing that I am so adamant about. We got to teach them about the Lewy bodies on the frontal lobe because it's the people that are in their fifties that are totally misunderstood in those hospital settings. Yep. Hospitals should be a safe place, but when you have dementia, it can be very dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're trying to prevent. We want hospitals to be dementia-friendly, and this is where we're, we're getting there. We're starting a little bit, so I'm very, very proud of that.
0: Well, Very and, happy. And same with, uh, you know, like Project Lifesaver and all the training and stuff. I know Mara Botanis has worked really hard um, in terms of that, and they're doing the Train the, train, the, train, the Trainer program you know for the police and stuff because a lot of us just automatically assume that our police know you know that our doctors know that our hospitals know our clinics know that our memory care you know staff know um but that's not a given it's not a given you know there's a lot that no. all of these people have to know and we just have to raise raise the consciousness to make it more of a priority and, uh, and join forces together and, and listen to family members. You know, we're, we're so used to, you know, providing stuff from the top down. And, and to me, I think there's a big shift taking place and saying, you know what, it's got to start from the bottom up because if you don't understand our needs, you can't push it down on us anymore because we're just not going to accept it. And so we're going to... Be- That's
1: one of the big parts of the, the training program on this is to build better br- bridges of communications between the hospital staff Families, their advocates, and the nursing care facilities. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, we don't have any communication between the assisted living nursing care facilities and the hospitals. Yep. The hospital calls and goes, "Hey, your patient's in transport on the way home." Remember, what happened the seven days they are in the hospital? There was no communication. <laughs> and some families, especially here in Florida, there's a lot of families they don't have advocates here. Their mm-hmm. family lives on the other side of the country, so these people are literally in the hospital by themselves, and it's, that's very
2: scary.
0: That's very very One scary. Of very very scary. Yeah. Do you have um, like patient advocates that can be assigned people who don't have anybody? Um, who you know,
1: some of the nursing care facilities we've been out training in this. And I, I just did a sunshine gardens up in our Crystal River, it's north of me. Anyway, we did some training there. When I'm talking about build, building better business communication, goes you know we just sent in transport our CNA to our residents to the hospital, and when they get to the emergency room emergency staff doctors wouldn't let the, the CNA from the emergency facility say one word. She goes, I'm here purposely to speak for this person. She's was like, no, <laughs> we're here to talk to them. Where's your
2: paperwork? And I'm paperwork. like, this is the problem. Yep.
1: So we, and one of the problems I really run into is that some of the larger hospitals, really, the ER is not the same company as the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when we come in and we're doing the training in the hospital, the ER is not being included. And that's where, where we really got to touch base with, is, you know, during triage. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, really, they got to verify all the medical history coming out of this person. They're writing down anything this person says. Well, it's, it's,
0: and, it's a problem. And that's something even the police and fire will say, too, is you know they kind of start from ground one, and then they half the time ship them off to the emergency room, and instead of the communication, they start from ground one again. And then if they're admitted to the hospital, they, they just keep starting all over again instead of sharing information and knowledge. And so I... I really recommend that every family member who has somebody with living with dementia, that they register them with 911. You can call in and, um, and just say that you'd like to register a loved one with dementia so that they know where they live. They'll take medications, doctors, contact information, all kinds of jazz. If there's certain behaviors, um, they're like, this will save us time in the long run if we have this information on file. And, um, and
1: update photos.
0: Yeah. updated
1: photos because they change, you know, the disease has a tendency of changing their appearance as they more and more they progress. So we need to update their photos every three months or so and yep. have make sure the police have a, actually a photograph of these people.
0: Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, Gary, this has just been such an interesting conversation. Is there anything in the book that we haven't covered that you feel that people need to, need to know?
1: Um, children. Mm-hmm. If we get one minute, we'll just talk about that. We have a tendency of not letting children see us grieve. You know, like, So we all go in our rooms and we cry in our rooms. We don't want the children to grieve, but children need to grieve too. And we also have a tendency of not letting children say their goodbyes because we don't want them to see them like that in the end. But children need to say their goodbyes too. And uh, that's something that we need to actually have open conversation with these kids. They're smarter than we give them credit for. They actually are very good listeners. And they might not be pretending that they're listening, but they are listening. <laughs> so we got to have the conversation. We've got to explain to them what's happening. And don't try to hide it in the end because they need to say their goodbyes also because children go through the after effects too.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's something
1: that, we need to address on it. So.
0: And that's really, I think, really important. That was something my mom was always big on, even when we were little, about kids need to go to the funerals, they need to be part of the process. Um, this is This is normal life. You know this is a cycle, and um people shouldn 't be afraid of death and dying. You know we need to have respect for it and and we have to teach our kids how how to grieve as well and um that that they are going to get off centered and life is going to change, but um, the rest of us are still here to to support one another so I think that that's a, a very, very important uh, important aspect. Well, I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant book, Gary, and I, I well, appreciate you. Um, you know the rawness in some of the chapters. That I mean, it was pretty brave to share some of the stuff you shared in here. Not every I opened
1: myself up on this one. I will say it was, uh, but it is, again, it was therapeutic. But I did it. Uh, that's why I wasn't probably ready, like I said, two years ago to write it. I wouldn't have been as open. Mm-hmm. But, um, I open it up because only for one reason, I want other people. I don't want people to go through this. Mm-hmm. I want people to, there is some stuff we're not going to be able to prevent. But we need to get back on our feet. We've got to find purpose again. And it's out there. We just got to address it. Sometimes you got to get up, you got to throw some good clothes on and, say, and force yourself out that front door. And if that's what it takes, we got to do it. It's almost the longer as we stay home and suppress it after they're gone, that's not healthy for us.
0: It's almost as tough as exercising. <laughs> You know, getting, right. getting, well, getting ourselves that's, out Well, that's there. actually <laughs> important,
1: too. I mean, you know, get that blood flowing a little
0: bit on it. No? You know, yeah. and I joke about that, but, I mean, it is. Uh, sometimes when, when you're just kind of down, I mean, it's just, it's like, oh, I just don't want to do that. I just, I don't have the energy, but you, you g-
1: gotta work a little
0: harder sometimes right and you gain you gain energy by expending energy and um, just like when you are are caregiving or being a care partner you know it's a two-way street even though you are giving away you are always receiving but you have to look for what it is you're receiving or you're not going to find it either so you have to have that expectation um, when you open that door and join the world um, you know that there is there is something to live for there is something that you'll receive and and that you'll be able to give and, and add back. Um, I love the beauty of you sharing your story to help the next guy, you know, kind of that hand out, um, I think sure. is really. Go to the
2: support
1: groups. Start mm-hmm. a support group. Volunteer. Get yourself out there again.
0: Mm-hmm. Take
1: everything you learned and share it with others. Share your wisdom because that's, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, That's the uh, <laughs> Uh, that's what makes us special as caregivers. We've learned something that other people don't have, don't know. And we need to help the others. Yeah. So, we're, we're, like I said, once a caregiver, always a caregiver. We're there.
0: So, Gary, what kind of response have you been getting from people on the book?
1: Oh, it's been huge, really. I've got so many people email me and comment me. It's say, like, Gary. I think it's like you sat right in my living room and talked to me and, and walked me right through this. Truly, uh, and and I do re- conversation mode. You know, that's mm-hmm. my style. But um, yeah, it's been. Like some people go, boy, I wish you had this two years ago. I could have used this two years ago. Yeah,
0: and you're so the thinking, response
1: has been, I've been all positive. The yeah. response on it, and,
0: and, you're and pro- like I said, I don't want
1: people to wait till the end. I want you to read it today, even if you're in the middle of the journey. It'll help you when you get to this point.
0: Yeah, and you were so, probably thinking you wished you had all the wisdom two years ago too. <laughs> you right, know, well, in, in terms of this, how do how do people get a hold of you, Gary? What's the best way?
1: Um, CommonSenseCareGiving.com. dot com. Um, is uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me on that. You can there's a contact form right on the home page. Uh, feel free to email me from there, and I'll answer any questions I have on it. And it's also a good way to get the book. Uh, I can, if you want to sign copy, I'll be happy to get ordered. It's probably the cheapest way to order it. Uh, it just did become available on uh, Amazon UK this past week, also. So the book's pretty international now. You can get it just about anywhere, and it's also on Kindle. So if you're a Kindle reader, it's, uh, it's on Kindle all internationally, just about everywhere.
0: Great, well, thank you so much for being with us, Gary. It's really a pleasure, and I so enjoyed meeting you in Florida. And I'm I'm sure we'll hook up again. Uh, in you know, I, there's talk of a few of us getting together and maybe doing some type of uh, conference, uh, which would just be well. If a you lot come to fun. Florida
1: again, let's try not to do it in August. I, I suggest you come down November, <laughs> December. <laughs> Get out of Minnesota when you can.
0: Yeah, yep, yep. Well, I'll put that on the calendar. <laughs>
1: All right, so well Wait till the, when the snow's coming, you'll be missing
0: us, yeah, yeah, well, thanks again for your time and all your work and energy, Gary. you're just doing marvelous work, and I, I appreciate your tenacity in terms of your efforts i mean you're you're really sticking with this and and making a huge difference around the world, so thank you so much, yeah, I'll
1: be back at you,
0: great. Well, I'm just going to go over some uh, highlights here. Uh, for those of you um, who didn't get a chance to listen to our last radio show, we talked about a new children's book called uh, on dementia called Grandma. And it was just a really fun conversation. It's a great little book if you have um, children or grandchildren who are dealing with this. Um, Our next show, we're going to be talking with Ray Ward with the Sky Factory, making any environment uh, relaxing and comfortable. That's going to be a show that you're not going to want to miss. And let me see here. Our last dementia chats, we were actually supposed to have one today, and I had to cancel due to my schedule, so our last one was on the 22nd. And if you haven't had a chance to watch that, um, I would encourage you to do that. We started by discussing the term best practices And what does that mean to people living with the disease and those that are caring for them? Um, How do they view the term and why? And then we talked about forgetting faces. Um, And our experts who are diagnosed uh, talked about how they dealt with not remembering their spouse or a loved one or a friend. And some of the techniques and insights that they used um, I think could be extremely helpful for others diagnosed, and and also those caring for them when those moments occur. So our next Dementia Chats will actually be October 12th. And um, we're going to do a a special show, um, radio show, which will air this Friday, and that'll be the one with Ray Ward at 1 o'clock Central Time, so that's 2 o'clock Eastern Time. And again, that'll be with the Sky Factory and some really cool technology that he he will be sharing with us there. have to give a couple last shout-outs. One is to the Twin Cities Hit Show, which is an online radio show here at Alive, uh, live and social. And it's broadcast from the Twin Cities here in Minnesota, Monday through Thursday at 9.30. Um, and it's really a fun show. You uh, you won't get a, a moment's rest. Um, you, you will laugh, and um, you'll hear the news. Rusty Gatenby is the former KSTP traffic and entertainment reporter. And he and Colleen Justice, along with former uh, Bloomington cop-turned-comedian Chuck Gallup, are on that show. And it's, it's a really fun, fun, interesting show that you will get lots of great information there is also a new show here called Sports Ticket, and Sports Ticket is your entry to all things sports, and Kevin George and Kendall Mark broadcast every Monday uh, in the studio and Thursday from Bennett's Chop and Railhouse, and um, they talk about past and upcoming games including the Twins, the Timberwolves, Lynx, golfers, Vikings, you name it. They are all over it. So tune in and and get some winning tips for your fantasy football league um, from the guys. There is one other sports show too that you might want to tap into. That's kind of fun. It's a father and son show. Uh, Scott and Drew Applebaum, and they banter back and forth. Their show is called Apples to Apples, and you really find out if fathers knows best when it comes to uh, sports. <laughs> so check out Alive and Social. Lots of fun, fun content there. On the podcast and you can access it 24 7 so until our next show we will see you all later have a blessed week bye now hi this is Suzanne Newman host of the answers for elders podcast and radio show